You're now tuned in to the Desire to Trade podcast, a show where we bring you the best figures of the trading world and teach you how you can become a successful trader. This is your host, Etienne Kret. Etienne Kret here, Fox Trader, founder of Desire to Trade. Welcome to episode 106 of the Desire to Trade podcast. Before we get into the show today, I just want to give a small shout out to a listener of the podcast who's been making really good progress these past couple of weeks. A few weeks ago, I received a message on Facebook from Seed Mirsa. I hope I pronounced that right. But this man has been having his first two consecutive months of profit in Forex, and he's attributing a lot of his success with the podcast, all the past interviews. So I'm super happy to hear that. I know a lot of people have been getting results. And if you also have been getting results from the podcast, just send me an email and let me know. I would appreciate it a lot. My email is E-T-I-E-N-N-E at desartotrade.com. And I would really appreciate communicating with you if you got any results from the podcast. And if not, we'll try to find a way to make it work for you. Maybe it's only one or two things that you have to put back in place to see results. So without further ado, this week, I've been sitting down with another trader, which has once again made me want to travel more. Will Hunting is a forex trader who has kind of a particular trading style based on supply and demand. Will came in a podcast to talk about how he's trading, what he's doing different, but most importantly, his story and all the lessons he got in trading. I'll tell you guys there's a lot covered in this interview. And I'm pretty sure you're going to appreciate and love this guy. I think this is an incredible reminder whenever there's something not going well or that you just want to hear from another trader virtually. So on that note, please help me welcome Will Hunting. Will Hunting, welcome on the podcast. How's it going today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Pleasure to have you here. And we talked a little bit about just about stuff before the interview and I was pretty fascinated with all the travel stuff and all the uh, intrigue. So I'm really curious to dive into the, the whole interview today. The first question I ask my guests usually is, what is one quote that inspires you? Yeah, you know, I was afraid you were going to start with that one. I was listening to some of your other podcasts, and it's the question that worries me the most because I have dozens of quotes that appeal to me, and I'm quite expedient about the one that I'm liking the most at any given time or on any particular day. It just very much depends on how things have been going for me, and I had quite a rough start to the trading week. So I guess the one I'm going to go with is doubt kills dreams quicker than failure ever will. You have to learn to trust yourself. Nice. Nice one. <laughs> I like it. Pretty good start. So Will, tell us a little bit what's going on these days for you. I'm a family guy. I've got five kids and school holidays have just kicked in here. So it's uh, the summer break has started. So I'm just kind of adjusting to new levels of noise and mayhem in the house. And uh, it's going to be crazy in the hunting household these next few, these next few weeks. <laughs> uh, we're, you know, we're planning to get away. And, but I actually like the kind of volatility that you get in forex markets during these summer months. I know people often complain about August being quite slow. I think historically, I've never found it like that. I tend to find you get good volatility and good momentum breaks actually during August. So I'm planning to stay near desk and we're going away for long weekends 
we've got two or three long weekends at book, but hopefully I'll make it back to desk every Monday so I can get on with business, you know? Cool. That's pretty cool. It's pretty, uh, I guess, different than most traders take vacation in the summer, but it's interesting. I prefer to vacation at the end of the year during the winter so you can go away somewhere a little bit warmer or drier. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just a better climate. We don't have it as rough here as you guys do in Canada. Yeah, right? yeah. It's a little bit different. Nice. So yeah, but, but, I know you have yeah. a very interesting story that in how you kind of transition in trading, but I want to go back in time a little bit. Tell us how you started to trade exactly. How did you hear about trading in the first place? It was quite by accident. So I discovered trading actually very late in my working career, I guess. I was about 33 years of age at that time. And I'd heard a lot about how people were making money trading online and the kind of trading which... I'm talking about is probably something like eBay, you know, where they were buying and selling things oh, yeah. online. And I had this idea that I might start wholesaling some products online. And I remember just doing Google search and the word trading online must have been thrown in there. And a whole host of broker websites came up and, you know, you click one and the next thing you know, you've got a demo account and you buy something and sell something. And buy something else and sell something else. And I remember checking in on the demo account at the end of that day. And, you know, pretty much everything was losing money, except for one instrument, which was XAU, which, you know, we now know to be gold. Mm-hmm. And I bought that and the price had gone up and, you know, showing that I was making a few hundred thousand dollars and it felt really good, even if it was on demo. And I thought, well, you know, uh, this looks quite interesting. Maybe I should get a live account. And, you know, a week later, I had a live trading account. So it really was quite by accident and chance. And I was looking for one thing and I found found something else. Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Did you just move from there to being profitable? I'm guessing not, but... Well, yeah, I had actually a very good start. So I had this live account and I put a little bit of money on there and every day I'd buy gold and the price would go up and I'd make some money and if it went down I'd buy a little bit more and the day after that it would the price would go up and I'd close those positions in the money and actually we're kind of looking at this in hindsight and I'm looking back at a gold chart the way that I would now rather than how I was looking at it at that time you know we're talking about early 2006 and gold was breaking into and out of the 600s and in the space of about two and a half years i took a relatively small trading account and i grew it almost 17 times its size without having the faintest idea about why what i was doing was working you know and so it was luck and timing and any other any other description that you may want to throw in there. I guess if you imagine someone who started trading just two or three years ago and the first trade that they took was to buy USD JPY and then every day they just continue to buy USD JPY even until it reached the present day, in the grand scheme of things, they would have made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But 
when we saw that big head and shoulders form on USDJPY last year and then the price collapsed, uh, I had a similar kind of experience in 2008. I rode gold all the way from uh, 600 up to the 1,030 mark. And then right after Lehman Brothers, having grown that account for two and a half years, I lost pretty much the whole of it in about two and a half wow. days. Um, yeah. So, you know, there was no risk management. I was hugely over leveraged. I had absolutely no idea that it was possible to lose. Mm-hmm. All right. And then that brings a whole host of undesirable traits and qualities out of uh, any trader. You, know, you, you, get, you get greedy, you over leverage. Uh, you think that you are unsinkable, you know, undefeatable. And so, like I said, it was just like a huge burst of luck and timing. And it wasn't something that I did so much as something that the instrument was doing. Yeah. It was never pulling back. Every day was a higher high. And, you know, how are you going to fail? How are you going to lose money? And so, you know, having earned a small fortune, and I say a small fortune, it was enough to buy a modest property here in Birmingham. (laughs) (laughs) And then over the space of uh, two and a half days to lose all of that, it's quite a surreal experience when I come So how do you react to that? Did you like just went ahead and keep trading or did you stop for a while? Well, I'd stopped smoking and I started smoking again. So that was one direct result of that particular experience. But it's a little bit surreal. And even now when I talk about it, you know, it's, you know, sure, there's a little tear rolling down my cheek, right? But I've thought about it many times since then. And I think that the best way to look at it really when you've been through that experience is that it's a blessing if it happens to you early on in your trading career because you'll always remember that and you'll always want to avoid that ever happening to you again. And so in a way, if it was ever going to happen, I'm glad that it happened then. And what it means is that it's less likely to happen to me now because I appreciate more what the risks are and how those risks need to be managed. Mm-hmm. And I think personally, it's very hard to become successful in trading if you didn't go through those experiences. Yeah, well, I, if you've never been through that, it's going to creep up on you at some point. And yeah. if it's happened to you when you're starting out, it's a blessing. I think the worst thing that could happen is that you're trading and you're growing this trading account and you're completely unaware of the risks and you're one day before retirement and then it happens. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all heard the stories and you know from traders and days gone past and it's not beyond anyone. Yeah. And it's just a case of always being very aware of that. And I think if we want to bring up trading quotes, there is a famous quote, I can't remember who said it now, but it kind of goes along the lines of it's not how much you uh, risk, but it's how much you make when you win compared to how much you make when you lose. And if you can stay on top of that, then I think in the long run, you have a chance. You know, trading is a very difficult game, and I think a lot of people do fall by the wayside. I've been in this market now for more than 10 years, and I have a lot of contacts in my Skype. I've made more than 100 contacts in my Skype, and many of them are inactive. 
And every single contact there is a trader. And the ones who are inactive, you know, it's a shame to say it, but I don't think that they went and bought a Caribbean island and they're living this high life. And I think they're the ones who fell away. And it happens to a lot of people. And I think the biggest reason is that when you're not able to control your risk, when you're taking a trade and you can't cut it, when you're when you've over leveraged, when you've become too confident in what you're doing, all of that has an impact. And even with a perfectly good trading strategy or a good trading method, not being aware of that risk, it's something that has the ability to really hurt you. I think that's a great lesson. And then what are the things you put in place after that moment to make sure that you were moving forward? After that collapse, I think that's really where my learning journey started. And uh, the first thing which I did after that, and I I really hadn't done it for those whole two and a half years uh, while I was trading gold, and I never felt I needed to. But my next Google search was learn to trade. And you discover forums and people are discussing their trading strategies and And so I started following a lot of people on forums and trying to implement strategies or the ideas that they were describing. And that's when I really started losing money. So, you know, when I was done with gold, I had maybe 10 to 12K left on my trading account. And over the space of the next three to six months, I lost about 40% of that. And all of this was following other traders and mostly in the forums. And I guess what I really learned from those forums was that you can't trust forums. What you have is one person who comes along and says, hey, I've got this trading strategy. It works really well. Look, here's a trade I took. And then another person comes along and says, look, I've followed this strategy and here's a trade I took. And then a third person comes along and says, I'm following the strategy. Here's a trade I took. And then about a month later, the guy who posted that strategy in the first place, he comes along and posts another trade. And it took a little while to realize it. But the reason that it's taking this guy so long to post these winning trades is because in between, he's only having the losing ones. You know, it's, it's the same with every trying to follow that forum and, and, and what have you. And so... And that really hurt. And I kind of felt the pain of every penny and every pound as I was going into that drawdown because in fairness, when I was making money, it never really felt real. You know, it was it was like points and you're playing a game and you're just earning points. And but when my initial balance started going down, you know, I could feel it and it was, hey, you know, this is hurting. It's not right. And it was really kind of actually quite a high level of emotional pain that I felt during that period. But I was spending a lot of time at screen. I was doing a lot of charting. And one of the threads that I stumbled across was a thread where they were trading pin bars. And they had a template that they gave you and they had an indicator with bells and whistles and alarms would go off whenever a pin bar formed. And there's a guy on there and he says, yeah, look, you know, we risk 4% per trade. And we're trading these pin bars. Whenever the alarm goes off, you just need to take the trade. And so I took the first trade when the alarm went off. And I went on the forum and, yeah, alarm's gone off and everyone's excited. There's 200 people 
viewing that forum at the time, all asking this guy, hey, should we take the trade? He's like, yeah, yeah, take the trade, sell it, you know? And I sell it. And sure enough, within minutes of having taken that trade, the price is going up and I'm stopped out. And then, you know, a few hours later, the alarm goes again and everyone's back on the forum. And this guy's saying, yeah, sure, you know, buy that. There's a pin bar there. You do. We need to buy this. And so I buy the instrument. And within minutes of actually taking the trade, the price starts to go down and it stops out the buy trade. And then a couple of days later, the alarm goes off again. And it's another buy trade. And everyone's on the forum saying, shall we buy this? He says, yes, yes, buy it. So I'll sell it. And sure enough, you know, the price goes down and they're all getting stopped out and actually making money for once. And I guess the lesson from that actually was that it's maybe where we started from. It's the quote that we started from, which is you have to learn to trust your own experiences. And one of the things I find is that, because look, my experience of coming into trading and maybe having that early success and then having this huge blow up isn't that much different from many people who come into trading. Oh, yeah. I think, I think it's like people, a typical story. Yeah, of course. Right. So you've, you've probably heard the same thing from yeah. everyone who you've spoken to. And when you have that block, you lose a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. you, know? you lose a hell of a lot of confidence because you start doubting yourself. And what you have to realize, and look, this is really wholesale, and I'm sorry if I'm taking this brush and kind of brushing everyone with that same brush, but on the forums, what you have are losers teaching people how to lose. And what you really have to do is, okay, you know, learn a method, borrow a strategy, adapt it, test it, make it work for you, and then start trusting your own experience. Trust what you're seeing on the screen. Trust the result. Trust your memory of the last trade that you took when you had that particular setup or that particular trading condition. And the moment you start trusting yourself, you start to actually realize that, you know, there's a prize here and it's achievable and it's doable, but it's something which you're going to build on your own experience as, a, as an independent trader rather than trying to mimic the experience of another trader. Exactly. And I'm a big believer in that also, that it's really hard to rely on people to trade. Because like, guess what happens if the guy is not there to tell you which single to take? That's going to be very hard. And the moment I saw success myself was when I came up with my own strategy, like taken from small pieces from everywhere, but based on like my own putting together and my own like creation. And that's really where I, I think I got the most value in trading. So it's really good to hear that for sure. Well, no, that's right. I mean, look, I've, I've had the privilege and I really call it a privilege to have met a lot of traders, spoken to a lot of traders, and I've borrowed something from almost everyone who I've ever met. Exactly. Yeah. Now you, you always walk away with something. And even a trader who's not doing particularly well, you, know, you can walk away with a valuable lesson mm -hmm. from hearing that person's story. Right. So, and I think I've been privileged to have been able to do that. And what you do is you borrow what works for you and you adapt it in order to make it work for you. And whatever doesn't make sense, just put it on the side and leave it alone. That's not for you. And mm -hmm. that tends to be quite a good way of moving forward because there is a lot of information out there. And 
just because something works for someone else, it doesn't necessarily mean that that same thing is going to work for you. You know, and if someone is saying, "Hey, look, I'm doing really well doing what I'm doing," there is the urge or the desire, you know, that hey, you know, I should be doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you will never be able to replicate another person's results. I don't think. I think you can borrow a method, you can copy a method, you can learn the strategy and, and, and the technique. And what's really important is to personalize that and make it your own, and to take from there what works and leave what doesn't. And I'm being a little bit careful here because I think there are some common things. There, there are some things which are common between all traders and that everyone must understand. So things like risk and reward, things like trade planning and how to do effective trade planning, mm-hmm. having a decision-making framework, all of these things, I think are, are universal prerequisites. But as far as applying a particular technique or a strategy or a method is concerned, I think it does need to be tailored to a particular trader. And every trader needs to discover uh, what they're best at and where their strengths lie. Mm-hmm. And in line with that, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the biggest lessons you got in trading? Are there a few things that stand out or that really like, want to pass on to people? Oh, gosh, where to begin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where to begin with that, right? So I think that the biggest lesson focuses around the whole concept of risk and reward ratio. And I think that risk and reward is a double-edged sword because underlying it is math. And the math would always make sense because it's number crunching on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. right? And uh, the math says that, you know, if you have this risk and reward ratio where you're risking one unit in order to make three units of something, then you can have more losing trades than winning trades and you're still going to make money overall mm-hmm. at the end. And I think that's great. And I think it is probably the most useful principle that any trader will ever utilize. But at the same time, it is a double-edged sword because many traders, when they come across this idea of risk and reward ratio, they become quite complacent. And you'll hear them make statements like, you know, when they're taking losses, they'll say something equivalent of, it's part of the game. Yeah, Losing is part of the game. And you have to take losses and almost making it acceptable. And I think one of the things that happens is that a lot of people, when they become complacent about accepting losses, it prevents them from actually improving and getting better at what they're doing. Because whether it was done directly or whether it was one of these subliminal psychological things that happen because the math in R&R makes sense. I think it does represent actually a big danger in a lot of traders and they become complacent and all of a sudden losing becomes part of the game. And when you're looking at the math in the risk and reward ratio, and just to kind of maybe highlight some of the fallacy, when you say, hey, in a sequence of 10 trades and we have this one to three R&R and, and you know, if you lose so many trades and you win so many trades, look, you've come out on top. And I think what you have to realize is that when we say sample of 10 trades, where did this number come from and who said that it's a sample of 10 trades? Yeah. Now, what if sample size is 20? And what if your 15 losers come before your five winners, Mm. right? 
Or what if the sample size is 50 trades and your 30 losers are coming before your 20 winners? At some point, you're going to give up. And at some point, you're going to have blown an account or taken considerable level of drawdown if you accepted that mantra and you said, hey, it's okay to take losses and it's part of the game and it's the cost of doing business. I think that's the one that kind of makes me most angry when I hear people saying that it is the cost of doing business. Look, sure, losses are going to happen, but you cannot be so casual about taking that loss. And if someone were to set out to develop a trading strategy today, what I would say to them is start with a trading strategy or a method or style that has the ability to give you a one to five risk to reward ratio or a one to 10 risk to reward ratio or a one to 20 or a one to 50 risk to reward ratio. Even if the strike rate on that is only 20%, even if you're only going to win two out of 10 trades, right? Mm -hmm. But start with a method that has the ability to give you that high reward to risk ratio. Now, once you've found that and once you've developed that, the next step is to cut out the losing trades. Right. Okay. So find a way to improve the strike rate on that. And then you're on your way. Yeah. Then you're on your way because, and I think that that's something that's doable. You know, whereas you can have all of these strategies where, where you're looking for half hour and you have a 90% win rate, right? Mm. But you're never going to improve the return in that strategy, even though you have this really high win rate. Whereas you can have a strategy with a high R and R but a low win rate, but you can find a way not to take the losing trades. Mm-hmm. Right? And you can find a way or develop rules or criteria by which you can sift through the signals which you're getting and then decide which trades you want to take and the ones that the ones that you don't want to trade. So so I think it's a really important principle, but it is a double edged sword. You have to treat it with exceptional care and not fall into the malaise, right? Where where losing has become acceptable to the point that you won't realize that actually it's your method that's failing or your strategy that's failing. And what you're doing is you're just stuck in this kind of dimension where where you've believed in a mathematical equation and you stop believing in reality of what's actually happening to your trading account and how it's getting decimated by these really poor trading decisions and signals that your system is throwing up. And I guess you can tell I've been through that, right? So yeah, <laughs> myself too, for sure. Right. So a lot of these ideas all kind of come from experiences that we've yeah, been. Yeah. But that is something that I think can't be impressed enough, especially especially on new traders who are kind of just coming into the market and, and wanting to learn to trade. Uh, it really is about risk and reward, but it's the method that has to deliver. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And what have you found personally to kind of reduce your losses? Personally, you have like two ways. One is scratching my trades when they don't kind of work out early. Sure. And the other one is uh, looking at basically the big picture and taking trades off the big picture. Is there anything else you found that you use to reduce your losses? Well, I think that my trading method and my trading style is a little bit different to how a lot of people approach the market. So. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, if I had to describe the kind of trader that I am, then I would say that I'm a, uh, that I'm a discretionary price action pattern momentum trader. There's a lot of different words in there, but it's a lot of different things which I do, and they will probably characterize uh, they will probably characterize my trading style. But what I was going to say is that a lot of traders tend to focus on a setup. You know, mm-hmm. and if you say to them, "Hey, what is it that you do?" They say, "Well, look, I've got this setup. When these particular conditions happen, I buy." Right, and uh, when the reverse of those conditions happen, I sell. And when I look at a setup, I'm a little bit more gender neutral, right? So I don't have a buy setup or a sell setup. I have a level at which a trade can happen, and that same level could be a buy trade or it could be a sell trade, right? It doesn't have to be a secular view about trading. In a certain way, when certain prerequisite conditions have appeared on a chart. So, to me, it's more about a decision making process. And what I'm looking for are levels that are black and white levels. And what I mean by black and white levels is that I want to identify a place on a chart that when the price reaches it, it is either going to go up a lot or it's going to go down a lot. Right? So, if I decided to buy at this place and I'm right, I'm going to be a lot right. And if I'm wrong, I am going to be a heck of a lot wrong. I'm not going to be a little bit wrong. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's really important for me because when I have this level, the way that I would treat it ordinarily, I would say, well, so long as the price is trading above this level and we're at the level now, then I want to buy. But once the price has gone and reached that level, then I want to sell. Right? But what is important in order for that to work are the prerequisite qualifications of the level itself. So it does need to be a black and white area. It needs to be one of those places where the price is either, either going to go up a lot or down a lot. And so then the level becomes a place at which you make a decision. You make a decision to buy. If you're wrong, you decide to sell. And or the other way around, you know, you're selling. And if the price has breached that level, then what it means is that you're buying. And so what I have is not really a buy setup or a sell setup uh, per se. That's not how I visualize Mm -hmm. what I do. I look at it more from a decision-making framework point of view. And I say, right, this is a place where I have to make a decision. There's going to be a default outlook here. And if I find that my default point of view is being invalidated, it means I'm wrong. And being wrong is really important to me because the price has to tell me I'm wrong and it has to tell me I'm wrong to the point that I have no logical reason for holding a trade that I'm in any longer. So, for example, if I've gone short and I've said, hey, this is a level at which a decision is made, I'm short the market now. Once the price has gone through that level, logically, there's no reason why I should be short anymore. So I will either cut that trade and go long, or I will cut that trade and leave it alone. What I won't be doing is moving my stop loss and saying, no, I can't. No, I can't be wrong. Let me move it higher. No, I can't be wrong. Let me move it just a little bit higher. And so the levels at which this type of trading happens is, I think, quite I don't know if it's unique. I'm the only person I know who does it, but it doesn't work just because 
makes that whole black swan thing, right? Just because you've never seen one <laughs> doesn't mean they're not there, right? But it's the way that I work and it's a way that makes sense to me. And as well, it's a way that protects me as well. Yeah, because when you've been hurt by the markets, I think the market leaves scars on everyone. Yeah, and, of course. And our losses are our biggest scars. And when I was in those gold longs from 1,030 and the price dropped, uh, you know, almost like $100 in the space of a couple of hours following a Fed meeting, and I was loading up every few dollars as it was dropping without a stop loss, you know, how could I possibly be wrong about this? I've never been wrong before. You know, and if I had had a way then of, or I'd had a charting logic that said, cut it, let it go, you're wrong about this, the price is going the other way now, then I think I'd been in a much different position. Yeah, and I would have been in a position to be able to recover much more quickly from that. So maybe it's a reflection of my scars. But that's the way I work. I don't look at setups, you know, that something is a buy setup or a sell setup. I look at it as a place where a decision has to be made. And the chart determines the default decision and the chart determines what the reversal would look like or when that default position has been invalidated, that default trade has been invalidated. And once it's invalidated, it means the price has gone the other way. So you're stopped out, you can reverse your position, or you can decide, I want to leave this alone and wait and see how the picture develops over time. That's interesting. But I do think we have to be careful when saying the word discretionary, because a lot of people might interpret this as, okay, no plan, just like trade however you want. And it's not really what you're doing. So you're really having this methodology done on paper and it's pretty much really clear. So it's a big difference. I think when I say discretionary, I'm, I'm saying discretionary as opposed to systematic. Right, right. So when you're trading systems, and again, I think you've raised a really important point here because a lot of traders, they don't always appreciate the difference between being a discretionary trader and a systems trader and things that work for systems traders don't work for discretionary traders. How that edge comes about is found in a completely different different place. So, so when I'm saying discretionary, it means I'm not a systems trader. I do choose to take the trades I'm taking, whereas a systems trader, he would have to take every trade that qualified according to the uh, rules of the particular strategy that that trader is following, right? So mm. with discretionary trading, you identify a level and you look at the calendar and you can say, well, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to be a busy week. I don't think it's going to be worth doing anything. Right. right? Whereas a systems trader, he'd identify a setup and he'd say, well, this matches all of the rules for this particular trading setup. And so I'm going to take it. And systems traders are looking for a, a statistical edge. They're looking for an edge based upon the historical performance of that particular strategy. Whereas as a discretionary trader, my edge is in my trading method. It's in the levels that I identify and then the decision that I make to actually execute at those particular levels. So it's, I think they're very different fields to each other. And if you're a discretionary trader and you try to evaluate what I did on a statistical basis, it just wouldn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, 
if you're a discretionary trader and you try to apply rules that work for systems, it wouldn't make any sense. You yeah, know? I think so, that's a very good distinction to make. Yeah. Sure. And the other thing I wanted to know about is your transition from day trading or scalping almost to swing trading on a higher time frame. I want to hear maybe what happened before and then why you moved to the other uh, style of trading. Sure. So when I first started trading profitably, so this is after that whole kind of episode with Golden, it took me about six to nine months to find my feet, you know, where I had a little bit of confidence in some of the patterns that I'd learned to recognize on the charts. And I was primarily trading these patterns on an M1 and M5 timeframe. And I had a trading companion, and he, he doesn't live too far from me. He's about 50 miles north of me. And we used to meet each other on Skype every day. And we used to have this race, you know, it's like first to 100 pips. And so it's, you know, 100 pip a day challenge. And most days would come quite close to achieving uh, that target and actually, uh, and actually hit it. And uh, he was a lot better than me. <laughs> but I'll tell you more about him maybe another time. But all of this was happening on an M1 and M5 time frame. And from a risk and reward perspective, it wasn't really something which was the better part of the trading style that I'd adopted at that time. So 0.5R, 0.8R, you know, typically you'd be risking 15 to 20 pips to try and make 10 to 15. You know, so usually less than one hour and we'd be hitting maybe four or five trades a day, sometimes more. And usually try to kind of clean up in the early London session as the breakouts were happening. And I did that for quite a long while. And, and as well, you know, quite successfully as well. So, you know, the way I measured success was just the equity curve. You know, we weren't looking at the angle at which it was growing. It, was, it just had to be creeping higher. As long as it's creeping high, I'd be quite satisfied with that and say, okay, you know, whatever I'm doing is working. But my addiction to the markets was actually something which was a lot bigger than that. And and, and what I found, and particularly during that learning period after gold, where I spent nine months hunched in front of a screen, maybe 12, 14 hours a day, uh, sleeping with an iPod under my pillow, right? So I I know in the States, people sleep with guns under their pillow or something. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's like traders, right? We sleep with iPods under our pillow and you just you, know, you wake up and you, the first thing you do is check the price. And really, that took its toll on my physical health. So I developed gastric reflux. I was having acid attacks and these attacks, they would start at the beginning of the week, uh, pretty much from the time that the market opened and then they would carry on until the market closed. And then I'd have two days respite and then the market would open and, and the acid would uh, flare up again and uh, it was really a horrible period actually of my life because I was just really really ill and I was ill all of the time uh, because this acid this wasn't like after dinner acid this was acid and it starts and it stays and it doesn't go away you can't sleep you can't eat you know you can drink water and you can drink little bits of milk or something and even sometimes milk would flare it up it was really crazy so you know i hadn't i'd never been to the doctors i think the last time i saw a doctor before i had this complaint was when i was born and i went to the doctors and they did a lot of tests and what they found was that you know, i had endoscopies done and all kinds of other things and 
Now, what they found was there's no stomach ulcer. The esophagus sphincter is perfectly fine. And the conclusion that the doctor arrived at was that I'm suffering from stress. And when you suffer from stress, your body releases chemicals into the bloodstream in order to try and relax you because your body knows what's going on and it's trying to take care of you. And what I used to find was that right after taking a trade, you know, the first trade I take on a Monday morning, five or 10 minutes after that, I'm so tired, I need to go and have a nap. And I was doing this almost after every trade. I was just feeling drowsy. I need to have a you know, lie down on the couch, have a rest for 15, 20 minutes, wake up, come back, check what the market's doing, go and lie down again. And so, you know, once the doctor kind of diagnosed that, it really meant that I had to change the way that I work in order to restore my health. There were other cosmetic changes I needed to make as well. So I had to stop smoking again. I had to start jumping on treadmill every now and then and go out running or something like that. But one of the major causes of the stress was the market and the risk that I was taking and the impact that I was having on my mind and mind in a way. And so what I did was I just started changing the way that I trade. And I transitioned from trading on the smaller M1, M5 timeframes and just worked my way to charting H1, H4 timeframes. And when I did that, what I found was that whereas previously I was risking one up in order to make 0.5, trading these same patterns on the higher time frame meant that I could pull 3R from a trade, I could pull 5R from a trade. There were some trades I could take, I could pull 10R. I would hit levels where I'm taking a trade and the price would struggle to move three or four pips against me sometimes. And that was a skill that I honed while I was working on the M1, M5, right? So here I was applying that same level of analysis or breaking down the market in such a way. So I, I, you know, I would have charted on the H1 and H4. And then when the price is coming for entry, I'm now looking on the M1 and the M5 in order to take a much more precision entry. And so I'm taking trades where I'm able to pull, you know, going from risking 1R and banking 0.5 or banking 0.8 and 1R, banking 3R, banking 4R, banking 5R. You're not always going to hit 3R, 5R, 8R, you know, but what you do want is a method that gives you the ability to be able to do that. And that is what's really important to me. You know, so once that transition was made, actually, it made life a little bit easier. It means that I don't have to spend as much time worrying about a trade, you know, or thinking because you take the trade, you walk away and you disconnect and you find something else to occupy your time. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're in that day trading M1, M5 environment is very intense. You know, you don't have time to go to the bathroom, right? So it can get very, very intense. But when you're on those higher time frames and you know that things are going to play out over the space of a few hours, you actually become quite relaxed about what you're doing. Yeah. And so that made a great deal. That made actually a lot of difference and actually helped in my recovery. But it was actually very hard. Personally, it was a very hard, hard time for me. And uh, I really wouldn't wish it on anyone at all, ever. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting. And I'm glad you mentioned this because one of my preferred trading methods is actually doing something similar on multiple time frame, except that I do yeah. it, I think it's a little bit harder whenever you kind of travel. And I know you travel a lot. So whenever you travel, do you 
still look at multiple time frame when you look only at one time frame to your trade? So I've kind of become a lot more relaxed as I've developed and grown as a trader. Mm-hmm. And well, with having five kids, usually when we're traveling, uh, they're quite insistent, you know, Papa, no laptop, right? So, mm-hmm. so I, I, I don't execute trades unless I'm at my desktop. And, and I've kind of set that pretty much as a rule for myself. The charts only make sense to me on a 24-inch monitor anyway. <laughs> they don't make sense to me on a five-inch screen or oh, yeah, yeah. On, a small, on a small notebook or a, on an iPad or something like that, right? Uh-huh. So if I'm looking at it on a 24-inch screen, it makes sense. I can see all the data I want to be able to see. I can see how, how price has been moving. So I'm not really one for traveling and trading at the same time. I find the traveling useful just to disconnect, you know, and, okay, and, okay. and just have a little bit of a break. And then when you come back, when you come back, actually, if you go away for too long, it's a little bit scary when you come back because when you open the platform, you're not quite sure what you're looking at. You know? so <laughs> yeah. It's like reading a novel, you know, and what's happened is that, you know, you left the novel at one place and then you've skipped a few chapters and, and you're reading the next chapter and that whole story about how the price reached where it's reached has kind of gone because you weren't following it. But yeah, so that, that can be scary sometimes. But if you're away for short breaks, and I'm quite outdoorsy, I, I like mountains and woodland walks and, and hiking and things like that. But you know, if you're going away for short breaks and things and you come back and actually you can have uh, two or three days quite a fresh perspective. Yeah. You know? It gives you time to think and it gives you a little bit of time to think as well about what you're doing and, and the direction that your overall trading is going in. Awesome. Awesome. How can people find you if they want to connect or reach out to you? Oh, so I have a website. So it's www.wmdforex.com. I'm on Twitter. It's at WMDForex. If you want to Skype me, it's WMD4XX. Email me, info at WMDForex.com. I'm quite an accessible guy. So, cool. <laughs> yeah, so, so I should be quite easily reachable. Awesome. So we'll make sure to put all the link in the show notes. And oh, Will, okay. what kind of goal do you have for the future? Uh, goals. So, you know, I love trading and I love everything to do with trading. And you never can always be quite sure about the direction that life is going to take you in. So I'm a living example of that. I never, ever imagined that I would ever be in the industry that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. My trading career began in plastics. There's a time when I even ventured into making biodiesel. Right, so wow. uh, so I've had some kind of you know uh, off off the wire ideas, and I've really kind of chased them and tried to develop those things. So I've done all kinds of different things, but never had I ever imagined that I would be in, in this industry. And so I think what I would say as a goal is I just love trading so much, and I enjoy working with other traders as well. And uh, so I just want to have a role in this industry forever. And, and and I think I'd be quite satisfied from that. I don't ever see myself retiring. I don't think I could, you know, to leave the trading industry or to leave the education space. I would always want to be involved in one way or another in this industry. I'm, I'm just, you know, even 10 years on, I'm as fascinated by the charts and price action and the markets as I was then. Yeah, and and so yeah, so I I don't know if it's a lofty goal, but I'd like to be around the markets for as long as possible. 
Yeah, it's a big passion. <laughs> love it, love it. It's true. Yeah. Like when you have a passion like this, you cannot just go away and retire for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I might grow up one day, but you know, until then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until then. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So, Will, we have a question you ask a guest at the end of every podcast. If you could give only one piece of advice for traders in one sentence, what would that one sentence of advice be? Oh, gosh. You see, why are you trying to narrow it down to one sentence? <laughs> um, we want to make it actionable for people. So what is one thing they would have to apply as soon as possible? Yeah. Plan every trade. Really plan every trade. Understand what trade planning is and plan your trades. And I, and I think that if you're able to do that, you have a head start on everyone else in the market. I think what a lot of traders do is uh, they turn on their computers, they open the trading platform, they look for a setup and they trade. Mm -hmm. and, and if you think about the meaning of planning, that set of activity or that sequence of activity does not come anywhere near reflecting the meaning of planning. I think planning is about foresight and uh, it's about preparation. And I would say if you're taking the trades that you saw coming, you will have a much higher degree of success than the ones that you took in the moment. And those are the ones to avoid. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but you know, I totally I, I, I totally see that. I love it. It's, it's really yeah, you know, I think more than half of the losing trades I take are the ones which I decided, hey, I'm going to take this trade now. You know, just looking at a chart and saying, oh, let me take it. Yeah. Right? You're not looking whereas, for trades, you're waiting for trades. Yeah. yeah and so, uh, you know, whereas if I decided something at the beginning of the week that I was going to be doing in the middle of the week, that's much more likely to work out for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I think being a successful trader is about planning. And so you have to focus on trade planning and just know how to plan a trade and know what the process is and then just follow it. Love it. Love it. Will Hunting, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. You're welcome. And it's been equally a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for listening to the Desire to Trade podcast. To get all the information on this show, free articles, and unique resources, make sure to check out www.desiretotrade.com and subscribe. Please leave us a review and let us know what you thought about the show. It's time to become the best trader you can be. See you next time.